sufficiency of Scripture, sufficiency of Scripture. And just to kind of uh, get us going this morning, uh, it says in John 10.10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Wonderful promise of Jesus Christ that he came to give us life. And not just any life, not just your kind of -of run-of-the-mill life. Uh, It's the abundant life. That's what he has come to give. Notice the, the wording, I came so that, or that. So the purpose, his mission in coming to this earth was to give you abundant life, Christian. Of course, there are many other uh, things that he accomplished, but this, he says that one of the key reasons why he came is to give us that abundant life. And, and we all want that, don't we? We all want the abundant life. I mean, who doesn't want a life that overflows? But uh, how do we experience a life like that? How do we experience a life that overflows, that is abundant? Abundant in things like joy and, and peace and, and love. How do we experience that abundant life? How can we experience a life that has victory over sin and a life that is unshakable in the midst of trial? These are all things that characterize an abundant life. Well, I argue this morning that in order for you to experience and fully enjoy this abundant life that Christ came to give you, you must be in His Word. Everything that you need to live this abundant life is in the pages of Scripture. Now, we want to have a definition of sufficiency. The definition of sufficiency is that all things necessary for salvation and concerning faith and life are taught in the Bible. All things, all things necessary for salvation. All things concerning faith, all things concerning life are taught in the Bible. Everything you need, Christian, is in the Bible. If you want to make it short, the abridged version, everything you need is in the Bible. That's the sufficiency of Scripture. And not only this, but we've seen in past weeks with the clarity of Scripture and the veracity of Scripture. We saw, I think that was about a month ago now, we saw that uh, those things that are taught in the Bible are clearly taught. Clear enough for the ordinary, quote-unquote, the ordinary believer to find and understand for his or her own spiritual good. So not only is everything that you need in Scripture, but any and every Christian has everything that you need. You have everything that you need in order to read Scripture and find everything that you need. All the things that are necessary for life and godliness are in the pages of the Word of God, 
and it's clear enough, it is plain enough that you can go find it. You don't need some guru. You don't need anything else when it really comes down to it. But the Holy Spirit, prayer, and the Word. And Jesus operating through those things. That's what you need. Now, it's not to say that you don't need the fellowship of the saints. It's not to say that you don't need uh, elders, pastors over you to shepherd you. These are all good things that God has provided for his children and are necessary for their spiritual growth. But if you were stuck on an island somewhere, you can still be a Christian. And you can still thrive. You can have an abundant life if you're on some isolated island somewhere. But most of us don't have that. We're not in an isolated island. We're actually in the polar opposite of an isolated island here in San Jose. We have everything that we need, church. All things, all things are there for you. Now, we want to work through first the challenge against sufficiency. The challenge against sufficiency. We're going to be just working through 2 Timothy, because 2 Timothy, a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a young man, a young pastor, Timothy, in the first century. This book of the Bible covers a lot when it comes to the sufficiency, the authority, and the nature of Scripture. So we're going to, we're going to kind of just plant there, so you can turn there in your Bibles, and um, I'm going to be working through and, and making some notes on the slides, but I would, I would uh, appreciate if you turn there to 2 Timothy. It would only help you. Beginning in 2 Timothy 1, uh, the letter of 2 Timothy <coughs> excuse me, was written to give Timothy fearlessness. Fearlessness to preach the word, right? I mean, he says in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of this long argument, he says, I solemnly charge you, verse 2, preach the word. Everything else in 2 Timothy is kind of an outworking of that or, or is related to that central command of 2 Timothy, preach the word. Be loyal to it. This is why Timothy received this letter from Paul. Just to prove that, look at this theme that keeps on coming up about the sufficiency of Scripture and how this is all you need to preach. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. Again, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, I'm reminding you again, right? So he's saying, for this reason, I remind you to basically not neglect, not neglect your gift of preaching. So that's what Paul is doing to Timothy here. He's reminding him, preach the word. Verse 8, 2 Timothy 1.8, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord 
or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. See, it comes back to the word of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. There is a timidity, a uh, frailness maybe in Timothy that Paul is fighting against. He's trying to give him fearlessness and put steel in his spine so that he would preach the word. In verse 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So you see here, he, he's going back to the word of God. Don't let go of, of this standard of the word of God. Retain the standard of sound words. I taught you doctrine. I taught you the truth. Don't let that just kind of leak out of the bucket. Retain it. Hold on to it. Don't let it escape you. Don't let it escape your mind. Speaking of truth, and again, in the next verse, as we already read, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What's the treasure which was entrusted? It's in the verse right before. The standard of sound words which you have heard from me. So you see, this is the treasure. And this is the entrusting. This is how it was entrusted. It was entrusted or handed over from Paul to Timothy in his teaching, in the hearing of doctrine, in the hearing of truth. That standard of sound words, that treasure was given over to Timothy. And Paul says, guard that, guard that. Interesting that he would say guard. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now there's a word in here that is similar to the verse that we just looked at. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. What, what is that word? Do you remember? Entrust. Good. So we see here, there is a treasure which was entrusted to Timothy. And then a little bit later on, a few verses down the line, in chapter 2 it says, Entrust, entrust these. What, 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 what is he entrusting? The things which you've heard. That treasure. Right? The truth. That's what is handed down from generation to generation. And he says, you have to make sure that you hand these things off to the next generation. And look what he says in the verse right before. You have to be strong in the grace of Christ to do this. Right? You can't be a, a weak leader, Timothy. You have to resolve in your mind that this is what you're going to do. All right, so the, the letter of 2 Timothy was written to give Timothy this fearlessness to preach the word. 
Now, why? Why write a whole letter to this young pastor to remind him to do what, I mean, what most pastors kind of automatically know that it, that's their job, right? If you're a pastor, you're there to preach the word. Why is Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy saying, preach the word? Why is he doing that? Well, we're going to see that there, is, there was this challenge, this challenging or this, this um, attack against the sufficiency of Scripture in the church that Timothy was pastoring. We're going to just kind of walk through these verses. 2 Timothy 2. Speaking of these other teachers that are having an influence inside the church. 2 Timothy 2.14 says, Remind them, remind them of these things. Now remember, we've been talking about what are these things, the things that were entrusted to Timothy. It's the truth. It's, it's the word of God. It's the, it's the truth of doctrine in the pages of Scripture. So he says, remind them of these things. Remind them of the truth, of the doctrine, of the word of God. And he says, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now this, this wording, wrangling about words, it's actually one word. It's, it's basically to engage in word fights or in word battles. So don't, don't get into word battles with these people and, and charge them not to partake in these word battles. Now, some context, some historical context helps us understand what he means because, I mean, words matter, right? Truth matters, words matter. We've seen in past weeks through this class that, that God has given us very specific words in his scriptures, and every single word matters, and we should fight over those words. We should, we should guard these words because God has communicated through words. So why, should, why is it bad to wrangle about words? Isn't this what we're supposed to do? Well, the culture back then was steeped in this, um, this valuing of, the, of debates, Debates were won and lost in Paul and Timothy's time. They were won and lost by eloquence, not by substance. What do I mean? If, if you had the worst argument, the most baseless argumentation or logic, but you sounded really nice, and you, and you presented it in a convincing way with, with uh, charisma, and you were a good speaker, but then your opponent in, in the same debate had all the, 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 the truth there, all of the, the sound arguments, but stuttered with their words and was timid. You won the debate, and they lost. You see, debates were won and lost on the basis of eloquence. 
And that's what he's talking about here. Don't worry about being eloquent, Timothy. Don't wrangle about words. Don't get engaged in these kinds of word battles where, you, where, it's, you know, uh, where you're just trying to impress people by how you speak. It's about the truth, Timothy. So don't worry about how well you speak. Worry about what you say. So he's saying don't wrangle about words. Rather, God has given us his word. And that's the final authority. God's word is enough. God's word is enough to win. It is sufficient. You don't need to argue with other people using the methods of men. Notice that if you engage in these word battles, if, if you speak to the world on the grounds of the world and just trying to win them over with logic and not, use, not open the word of God, if you're trying to, let's say, evangelize to somebody or you're trying to have a conversation with a coworker or a family member or a friend, and they just totally reject the teachings of Scripture, and that's not hard to find nowadays. Uh, these things are hot-button issues. But if you're having that kind of conversation, you're not going to... You're not going to win that battle if you just try and use man's logic. You have to go to the Word of God. You have to open the pages of Scripture. And they, and they uh, trust me, they might say, well, you know, that's, that's what you believe. I don't base my life on something that was written thousands of years ago. To which you would say, well, this is a living Word. God speaks through it now. He has spoken once. He does not need to make up a new truth for a new generation. He's spoken once and he speaks still through that same word. And so I base my life on this word. And I'm not going to apologize for it. So let me open up the Bible and tell you what God says. Now, if, if we neglect that, if we neglect that, and if we buy into, you know, I have to win them over with logic, I have to win them over with, um, you know, just, just being a nice person, that's going to win them over to Christianity. We need to be kind people, of course. But the truth of the Word of God is what pierces the soul and changes minds. And if we wage this war, if we enter into spiritual warfare not using the sword of the Spirit, not using the Word of God, what it leads to is to the ruin of the hearers. See that? It leads to the ruin of the hearers. How does it do that? Well, it seems like if a pastor just, or, or a teacher just uses the philosophies and the, the teachings of men, to teach good morals, and to teach nice living to a church. Those who sit under that kind of teaching will eventually be ruined. They will undergo a slow decay, and their spiritual life will be unhealthy and ruined. And I believe that the ultimate ruin here he speaks of is doubt. Doubt. 
It's doubt. Right? Because this is about convincing. How do we win in an argument? How do we win souls? How do we, uh, how do we show that the word of God is true and all other teachings are insufficient? That's what this is about. And so if I just buy into the teachings of the world and I abandon the teachings of the truth of Scripture, then you have no basis, you have no solid foundation for your life. When trials hit, you doubt. When disappointments come, you doubt. Is this really true? Is this really worth it? Is, am I really doing the right thing here? Even though my, my friends and my relatives tell me I'm a fool, is this really right? You begin to doubt. That's the ruin of the hearers. Now, verse 16. Well, let's keep reading down. Verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So you see, not wrangling about words, but handling the word of truth. Not getting into word battles, but just accurately handling the word of truth. You don't have to make new words. It's already there. You just have to be a good steward of it. Now, again, it goes back to the, to the battle. He's going back and forth to looking at these people that are teaching false doctrine to a charge to Timothy. Now back to the people that are teaching false doctrine. He says, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So what is said in our conversations, what you hear in the world throughout life is either from God or from the world. The words that are spoken, that you hear from day to day, think about all the words that you hear throughout a work day or a weekday. It's either coming from God or it's coming from the world. And he says, the Lord says, avoid worldly chatter. Avoid worldly chatter. So, Limit your exposure. Limit your, your acceptance of the kind of words that come from the world. Now, notice it's not just worldly chatter, it's worldly and empty chatter. So if it's from the world, if there are teachings from the world that are not based on Scripture, then it's empty. Empty means vain. It looks like there's something there, but behind the mask, it's, it's empty, it's vain, it's vanity. There's no true substance. And that worldly, empty chatter that is not coming from God's word only leads to further ungodliness. And don't we see that? Don't we see that in our, in our, in our world today? 
Don't you see that in your own life, right? That the, the, the more and more you neglect the Word of God, the further and further into ungodliness you drift. Don't you see that with society? The further and further away they distance themselves from the truth of the Word of God, from a theistic worldview, the further and further into sin and ungodliness the society drifts. This teaching is is dangerous. The teaching of the world is dangerous poison to the church. He says in verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, false teaching. False teaching spreads like gangrene, like cancer. It's a flesh-eating disease, gangrene is. It's, it's interesting, the, the, the wording. Uh, it, in the Greek, it sounds like... Uh, like somebody chewing with their mouth open, if you pronounce it. it. sounds like, And the word means to gnaw or to chew or eat away at. That's what this does. That's what false teaching that is not based on the word of God does. It chews away. It, it gnaws at. It gnaws at the faith of, of God's people. It gnaws away at our souls. It gnaws away at the truth, at the foundation of the church. It slowly eats away. Now, what happens? What's the result at this gnaw- of this gnawing away? Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, speaking of Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they upset the faith of some. They upset the faith of some. So, this talk that is poisonous, that spreads like gangrene, that gnaws away, what is it gnawing away at? What, what is it gnawing away at here in verse 18? The faith of some. It damages the faith of God's children. It makes them not solid as God would have them be. It makes them unsure of his promises. Where God may, when God makes a promise, he wants you to be certain of it. Would we say that the, faith, the, the empty chatter is mm-hmm. in, this, in this context is that the resurrection didn't happen? Yeah, specifically. Specifically, he's saying their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. So specifically, the, the specific false teaching that was happening in this time was that the resurrection had already taken place. And so the promise of the future resurrection was beginning to, as it were, being be eaten away at and people were losing hope and losing that faith well if the resurrection's already happened then what's going to happen to me it's unsure 
And they don't go back to the word of God for the, the certain promises of the resurrection. Same thing with any other promise that God gives. Any other truth that God gives in, the word of, in his word. False teaching gnaws away, eats away at those. To where you begin to doubt the truths of scripture. Good question, brother. If you have any questions, I know I, I, it's hard for me, brothers and sisters. I get into preaching mode really quick. So just raise your hand, interject, all right? If you have questions or thoughts, that is welcome. Continuing, the, the challenge to the sufficiency of Scripture. Verse 23, 2 Timothy 2.23, a little further down. It says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce Quarrels. You see, these, these, these speculations, that's really helpful to, 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 to find out what is the issue here. Specula- to speculate is to, is to come to an educated guess. It is to leave the realm of certainty and enter into probability, possibility, And out there, outside of the foundation of truth and certainty, out there, there is no definitive truth. There is no certainty to things said. Now, Paul tells Timothy, refuse speculations. Refuse those kinds of things. Don't drift off and teach or... or, or, or Preach anything that is not found in Scripture. Don't drift off into speculations and give people your best guess. That's not what the teacher and the preacher of the Word of God is to do. That's not what the Christian, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to drift off and to make just wild guesses and, and come up with, with wild uh, uh, Thoughts about things that God is not clear about in his word. You see, this, this desire to go into speculation, it comes from the mindset that the Bible is not enough. That's where it comes from, right? If, if I am not satisfied or if I don't think that the Bible is really enough for my life, for what I'm going through, for the answers that I'm seeking, if I don't think that I can find the answers here in the Word of God, then what am I, what am I going to do? I'm going to leave the, the, the certainty of the Word of God and I'm going to drift off into speculation. That's what happens. So that it, the, the source is this mindset that Scripture isn't sufficient. It's not enough. So now I have to go off and speculate. We have to... We have to think and, and make theories about things that God has not spoken on. This is to go beyond the truth of Scripture. And notice how he describes this speculation. Foolish and ignorant. Foolish and ignorant. It's a condemnation on that kind of mindset. 
for somebody who thinks that I have to look outside of the word of God for life and godliness. Verse 25, a little further down, it says, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So you see, what's needed is repentance. If, if, you're, if there is somebody that is drifting off into speculation, they have to repent. What, is that, what, is, what does that say about what they're doing? It's sin. You don't repent of something that's not sin, right? So if they're drifting off into speculation, that shows that they don't really truly believe that the word is enough. That is sin, Christian. If you're going to the world, if you're going to blogs and YouTube and, and, and social media and TED Talks and whatever, if you're going to the world to find answers to, to things that God speaks on, you need to repent. You need to repent. And notice that what you need to do when you repent, turn away from those teachings of the world and turn back to truth, the truth of the word of God. It's a repentance, a turning that leads to the knowledge of truth. So it's a turning from falsehood of the world to the truth of God. Is that turning yes. preceded by thinking, right? Rethinking what you're doing, right? So I'm not going to repent of something that I'm not convicted over, right? So the Spirit is going to convict me and show me that's wrong, right? Repentance is... Exactly. Yeah, repentance is a change of mind. It's, it, it is, that's, what it, that's what the word means. It is to change your mind or to turn your mind. Yes, it begins there in your understanding and it bleeds out and it shows in what you do. Yes. Yeah, all these things are involved in this turning, right? I, I'm not going to submit to God's clear teaching if I, if I don't humble myself, I don't, if I don't surrender myself to Him and His will. Yes, absolutely. All of those things are wrapped up in this repentance that leads to the knowledge of truth. That is the question, because this is the false teachers, right? It says, if God perhaps may grant them repentance, leading mm-hmm. to the knowledge of truth. Mm-hmm. So they never had hold of any of God's truth. Yeah. And then this, it says mm-hmm. that they may escape the snare of the devil. Mm-hmm. They were held into his will. Yes. So these are non-believers. Yeah. Specifically, these are speaking of non-believers. This is the mindset of the non-believer. Yeah, the pattern, the principle holds true for believers, right? So if it's a sin for a non-believer to do, it's a sin for a believer to do, right? I know i got to repent from every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
from thinking that I don't need the word of God. I have to repent of that, right? We, that's something that we should be in the practice of. Yeah, and it goes right into the next verse where it says they have come and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So these false teachers specifically are unbelievers, yes. They're being used by the devil to accomplish his will, to weaken the church. This is spiritual warfare, right? False teaching. Teaching that goes beyond scripture is demonic. The enemy works through these men to hurt the church. And so on, on the, the big picture is these unbelievers, we need to plead with them and give them the, the word of God, give them the truth and pray that God would give them repentance so they would turn from their false teaching and come to the truth. But on a micro level, you could say, this is a tendency that we all have, Right? To, to abandon the word of God, to think that we can figure it out on our own, to think that the world has the answers, not the Bible. This is something that we go through, and we need to repent, and we need to turn back to the truth of the word of God. Absolutely. Good. Good insights. Yes? And especially doing what the wolves among the sheep, mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for that segue to chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. He, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, these people who are, are challenging the sufficiency of Scripture and teaching false doctrine are in the church. In the church. They are tares among the wheat. Let, let's follow his... his wording here in chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you see, Paul is telling Timothy, look, it's not, society will, don't expect it to head into the right direction. Difficult times will come where it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. The sin of society and of, of a nation and of a people will go from bad to worse. That's the progression of sin. Sin doesn't let up. It continues to destroy and corrupt. So the fruit of those who do not hold the standards of Scripture, the truth of the Word of God, this is the fruit. Difficult times will come. How how do we know that this is from false teaching? Look how else he describes it in the next verse. Holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. So he's describing specific men. 
What, he, what he's doing here, he's, he's, he's saying, if, if you look at this list and you see these things in, in those teachers, which, by the way, you will, avoid them. And Paul is, I believe Paul is speaking of specific people that are actually teaching in the, to the church in that time. He doesn't name them, but he describes them. And look, they hold to a form of godliness. The source of their sinful lifestyle is that the true religion found in God's word is not enough. That's the source of their ungodliness. You see, because they hold to its form. They hold to the form. They claim that they have the real thing inside, but they really don't. It's just the form. And the proof that they don't have that true religion, that true faith, that true belief in God and His Word, the proof is that they deny its power. So they hold to the form, but really the reality is they have denied its power. What power? Well, the context is this list of sin, right? These sinful characteristics and acts. So it is the power to change them. So they don't believe that Jesus, the word, and prayer are really enough to change them. And to turn them from sin to godliness. See, they hold to the form, but, but deny the power of godliness. And it's seen in their life. So they say all the right things. They, 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 on the outside, they, they just they check off all the boxes of a nice leader and teacher. But really, they're, they're, their lifestyle is sinful. We need to reject these kinds of men and women. Verse 6 and 7. Look what they go on to do. Look what these, these false teachers that are sinful like this do. For among them, among these men like this, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's amazing. So these weak women, these weak women, it's not that, you know, um, we understand women are the weaker vessel and husbands treat women with, with gentleness and honor because of that, right? We don't mistreat women because they're the weaker vessel. But this here is not speaking about that aspect of women. He, the wording here is, is gullible women. That is weak-minded kind of women. It's women who are at home while their men are away at work. They are left at home and they are weak in the scriptures. Weak in the scriptures. That's the point here. These false teachers... These evil men prey on these kinds of women. Sobering, isn't it? 
So, women, you need to know the truth. You need to be strong in the Scriptures and sound doctrine. Theology isn't something for men alone. We want women in this church that are strong in the Word of God. That have a solid understanding of how to read the Word. What it means. How to apply it. Who can connect the dots between Old Testament and New. Who are rich in their theology and their understanding of the character and the nature and the works of God. That's the kind of women that we want. Students of the word. Strong women. Strong-minded because they're strong in the word. Not stubborn. That's not what I mean by strong-minded. But strong in, in their certainty and their understanding of the word of God. Women, you're not, you're not to be some, you know, just this frail, meek person walking around that's unsure about certain things. That's not what God calls you to. We're going to see in the next hour two examples of such women that fear God more than men. But that's a teaser. So, (laughs) by the way, men, as I exhort the women, this is an exhortation and an admonishment to you as men. So men, you must teach your families, your wives, and your children. God places that responsibility on you to lead in this. Don't let your wife surpass you. Often that's the case. But we are to lead, aren't we? We are to lead in this. Be men of the word. The strength of your wife, the strength of the, let me say it this way, the strength of the women in the church should be the result of the strength of the men in the church. It shouldn't be despite of it. Now, that's convicting enough. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, bad to worse, Deceiving and being deceived. See, the the lies of false teachers don't usually start off in complete heresy. It goes from bad to worse. Evil men, imposters, will go from bad to worse. Deceiving, being deceived. So they tell lies and they believe lies and they just parrot those lies that they hear from the world. They, false teachers end up in rank heresy by starting with a little bit of compromise. And that compromise is usually here in the sufficiency of the word of God. A little, a little openness to the idea that, you know, well, maybe we do need to look outside of the Bible to deal with this issue. Maybe God doesn't have the, the exact right answer that I'm looking for for, for this problem. Or this situation. Just that initial thought is going is the beginning of proceeding from bad to worse. That's where it starts. 
Now, 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come. Now this, this we've seen, it, it, it starts in the world and it enters in through the teachers of the church and then it spreads to the people of the church in 2 Timothy 4. This, this second guessing of the sufficiency of Scripture spreads to the people. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, speaking of the church. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Verse 4, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. So this mindset that the Bible isn't enough. It spreads to the congregation. Remember, it's like gangrene. It doesn't just stay isolated. It spreads. So what we see here is, is the mindset of a weak church and weak Christians. Weak churches, weak Christians don't care much for doctrine. Look, that's what it says. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's just too much to endure. The systematic teaching of the word and the truth of God is just too much. So weak churches, weak Christians don't care much for doctrine. You see, well, why? Well, it's because it doesn't tickle the ear. Right? It doesn't tickle the ear. It's not, it's not pleasant is the idea. It's the mindset of you know, that, that doctrine, all that all those verses, all the, you know, going through the outlines and everything, it's just, it hurts my mind, and I don't like that. It begins there. You know, why does a pastor have to preach for nearly an hour? It's not easy. It's not pleasant. It hurts my mind. It's boring. Now, preaching shouldn't be boring. Teaching shouldn't be boring. Sometimes it is, and that's the fault of the deliverer, right? It's not the fault of God's word. But the thought of, you know, it doesn't make me feel good about myself. I don't like what that guy says. It's, it's, it makes me uncomfortable. That's all wrapped up there in, in you know, they, what they really want is their ears tickled. They want to be pleased. They want to leave happy. Carefree. So what do they do? What does a weak church, what does a weak Christian do? They gather up for themselves people who will say what they want to hear. Don't we see that? Somebody who will let them stay in their sin. See, look. Teachers in accordance to their own desires. That's what this is about. I like my sin. I like my sin. I like you know, my pursuits in life and I don't like to be challenged about those things. I don't want to change my, my life plan for God. They accumulate teachers who will only teach the elementary things of the Word of God and never go on to serving the meat. That's a weak church. That's a weak Christian. These people who want preachers who look like them. Verse 4. The people will turn from the truth and turn toward myths, stories, teaching 
teachings and thoughts, and, and, and they call them now today talks, right? Instead of a sermon, it's a talk. These, these talks that are not grounded in truth, but rather man-made thought. As we close, and again, I know we didn't finish. That wasn't the plan, right? The plan was not to finish. We're going to look next week at the claims of sufficiency back here in 2 Timothy. He's, that's why he, he says verses like, preach the word. He, that's why he, he says verses like, uh, all scripture is inspired by God. This is from God, so preach it. I don't care what the world says. Anyways, this, this idea of, of teaching myths, turning aside from truth to teach myths, I've, I saw this in action before. And, and sadly, this is all too common in the church today, where the, the, we went to a church in the greater Bay Area, and we were on vacation, so we, I was like, you know what, I just want to, I got to see what's out there, right? This is before the Lord uh, placed me here into ministry, and um, just wanted to know, like, what's the lay of the land? What, what's going on out there? Because I was grown, and I, I was saved, and, and grew up in a solid church by God's grace, and so I wasn't really exposed to the craziness that's out there. Um, but so I, we visited a church, remember this, there, Right? We went to this church, and I left not happy. Um, the, the, you know, after the concert of music, there was this man got up there, skinny jeans and all, and he, um, skinny jeans aren't a sin. All right, I'm just messing around. Um, <laughs> this, this man got up there, and, and he read like a verse or two, and then he placed down his Bible, and he proceeded to tell a story about some event that happened in the past week. He was on a trip or something, and some story encounter with some person on the plane. And um, the rest of the sermon, the rest of the well, the talk, the rest of the talk was him expositing or explaining his story, rather than the verses that he read at the beginning. And I kid you not, he never went back to the word. He never said it. He never read it again. He never mentioned it again until like the last few sentences. It was just him telling a story. And base, you got to think this, these sheep, these children of God are there in the chairs, getting, thinking that they're getting life guidance that their, their souls are being shepherded, that they're basing the certainty of their soul, of their eternity, on a story. That's the danger if we neglect the Word of God. So, teachers, if you teach in any ministry, whether it's, whether it's from nursery all the way up, teach the Word. Don't tell them your stories. Amen. And church, hold your teachers accountable. Hold your preachers accountable. I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the church. This isn't about me. So if I just drift off and start to tell stories, and I don't tell the gospel, and I don't exposit the word, or if you think I'm off somewhere, you got to come to me. 
Tell me. Because the temptation is strong, let me tell you. The temptation is, is strong to compromise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us truth. We thank you, Lord, that we can be certain that when we open the pages of Scripture, our answers are there. And we pray that you would, would solidify that certainty and that trust in you and your word. Lord, this week, may we, as we read your scriptures, may we just get as much out of it as we can and get the guidance for our lives as much as we can from your word. Help us to resist the temptation to look elsewhere. And Lord, if, if we're talking to a friend or somebody that we're getting advice from, if they don't open the scriptures, we need to be careful. So give your people discernment as well. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to shepherd and guide your people according to your word and that there would be health and strength there in our women, in our men, that we would be strong men and women in the scriptures and that we would be a lighthouse for the truth of the word of God in this church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.